So we begin with Psalm 111, verses 1 through 6. It's in your bulletin, or I welcome you to open your Bible or your Bible app and read along as I read God's Word this morning. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Let's pray. God of all grace, you have caused your works to be remembered by giving us your word, the Bible. You've caused your people to remember and write down the story of your faithful love for us. The story of renewing grace that the Father planned in eternity, that the Son accomplished in history, and that the Spirit applies personally to all who trust in Jesus as their only hope. Now would you come and cause us now, even in this gathering, to remember all that you've done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So yesterday, after a long week in the concrete jungle of Dallas, Texas, my family and I went hiking in the beautiful East Tennessee mountains, Signal Point. Glorious. So good to be home. Um, now, among those in my family, I am the slowest on the trail. You're shocked, I know. But I realized about halfway through the hike that I was doing something that I typically do whenever we hike these beautiful trails. I was extremely, intensely focused on several things. I was focused on my aching joints and muscles. I was focused on how hot it was. I was focused on how sweat was burning my eyes and blurring my vision. Focused on how thirsty I was. Focused on how I was slowing down the rest of the family. And perhaps they were focused on that too. It's one of those situations, you're the last one in the line, you're the slowest one. They get to a point, they stop and they rest. By the time you get there, they're ready to go. <laughs> That's what I get. Um, but I, I was focused on looking down at the trail, which is, you know, there's some wisdom in this, but... I was so focused on either getting the next step right or not getting the next step wrong. Um, so focused on all of those things that I was missing the beauty of the day and the beauty of the journey. So there were a couple of times when I started to look up carefully. <laughs> I looked up and I, I noticed the, the sunlight cascading with sparkling joy through the leaves, the green leaves, 
I noticed uh, in contrast to that lightness, there are these big, solid, strong rocks with some moss on some of them. Have I told you that I like big rocks? I'm weird like that. Whenever I see big rocks around here, I just get happy. Okay, I'll keep talking. Um, I love big rocks. And then I also started to think about how good it was that the five of us were together. It doesn't happen that often these days, that the five of us get to, get, get to be together. And then we got to the overlook at Julia Falls. Seen it before? A couple of times. But when I got there, after everyone had been there for about five minutes, when I got there, I just looked out and was, again, blown away by the beauty. It was breathtaking. And there, I thought to myself, okay, this is why I've suffered from signal point to now. So I can see this. So I can enjoy this with my family. And uh, folks, this is what the Psalms and Sunday worship do for God's people. The Psalms and Sunday worship are points along the journey where you stop and you lift your eyes up and you look around and you look at God and you say, wow. And, and so this morning, I'm excited that this, this is what we're going to do. We're going to use Psalm 111 and we're just going to stop for an hour and just soak it in. We're going to get our eyes off of the journey itself and the trail and how treacherous it is and hot and hard and brutal it is. And we're going to stop. And we're going to peer over the overlook. And we're going to see Jesus. Um, journeys are what God's people are all about. Uh, Psalm 111 actually rehearses the journey, traces the trail that God's people have been on since the beginning. And a lot of the Psalms do that. You'll notice as you read through them, a lot of them retrace the steps of God's people. And that's what Psalm 111 does. Now, I'm going to unpack that for a few minutes, and then we're going to move on. But just know, so that you don't get worried, this is going to be the longest one of my little sermonettes, okay? The rest will be shorter. So don't, don't panic. But look, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. So the psalmist goes all the way back to creation. Because that word works is talking about the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens, creation, all that God created. And he says they're great. In verse 3 it says, Full of splendor and majesty is his work. That's actually a different word for work. Uh, it, it's, it talks about the providential actions of God, that, that God is not only the creator, but he rules his creation in splendor and majesty and righteousness. He rules his creation with all of that splendor and majesty and perfection. So the psalmist takes us all the way back to God's creation and the providence he has over all people and all things. And what does this say about God? 
because God's word to always say something about him, it says that God is powerful, he's big, he's splendorous, he's majestic, he's awesome, and he's righteous. He does what is right. When he created everything, he said, it is good. When he created Adam and Eve, he said, it's very good. So he goes from creation and providence to then the rescue from Egypt. And this is really what the scriptures do over and over again. They go back to the rescue in Egypt. Verse 4, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. That word, wondrous works, refers to the great saving acts of God. Not just his creative acts, but his saving, rescuing acts. And it's alluded to God's rescue of his people from bondage to slavery in Egypt. And so what does this say about God when we, when we remember his wondrous saving acts of rescue? It says not only that God is per- powerful, but that he's personal. He notices what his people need most. He is gracious and merciful. His people need grace. His people need mercy. So creation and providence, rescue from Egypt, and now verse 5, the provision in the wilderness journey. Verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And what does this say about God? It says that he not only cares about your spiritual needs, but he cares about all of your needs. He cares about every detail of your life. The Bible talks about how when they wandered in the wilderness, they were never without food, and their shoes didn't wear out. God cares about the details of your journey. He cares about your person, your body, every detail. So, creation and providence, rescue from Egypt, provision in the wilderness, and then in verse 6, the giving of the promised land. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Remember, he cleared out the nations and gave them a land that was already flowing with milk and honey, already abundant. And when it says he showed his people the power of his works, it goes back to that word works that was used in verse 2, talking about creation. So what this means is, just as God created Eden and gave it to Adam and Eve, now God has created a new land of abundance and has given it to his people to cultivate and to keep a place where they would dwell with him and with one another. It also points to the new heaven and the new earth that God will give to us, his people, one day so that we can dwell with him forever. And what does all this say about God? It says he has shown his people the power of his works, that he is able to do what he says he will do. God is able to redeem and he's able to renew. He can be trusted. We can hope in this God. So sometimes it's easy, as I said, to get bogged down in the details of the journey and forget the God who laid out the path for us. Forget the God who walks with us on the path. Forget the God who rescued us and is redeeming us and renewing us and is taking us to a place where he will dwell with us forever. It's so easy to do that. But the Psalms and Sunday worship are times when God says, look up, look around, but most of all, look at me.
Brothers and sisters, lift up your hearts, lift up your heads, and stand with me and hear from Psalm 111, verse 9, the good news of the gospel. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. You see, creation, the journey starts, redemption from Egypt, provision in the wilderness, a promised land with a law of loving God and loving others. God knew that his people would fail to stay on the trail in the promised land. He knew that they would fail to walk in love for him and love for others in the promised land. But long before, long before God sent Moses to deliver them out of Egypt and to rescue them from bondage to slavery in Egypt, God made a covenant with Abraham to rescue his people from their bondage and slavery to sin. I think it was last week that I mentioned Genesis 15 where God made the covenant with Abraham and he asked Abraham to divide, cut those animals in half and God symbolically walked in between the pieces of the animals. Not Abraham, but God walked between them to say to Abraham, if you or I break our part in this covenant that I'm making, this covenant relationship that I'm forming with you, if either of us break this, then may it be done to me as is done to these animals that have been torn in two and their bloodshed. If you, Abraham, or your descendants break the covenant, I will pay for it with my own blood. And Jesus was torn apart. Jesus' blood was shed so that God could keep that promise. In order to be able to command his covenant forever, God the Father commanded it in eternity, the Son accomplished it in history, and God the Spirit applies it to each of us personally who will receive it by repenting of our wandering off the trail and by resting only in Jesus who walked the trail perfectly in our place all the way to the cross. So what is the response that that good news should pull out of us this morning? What is the response? Psalm 11 says the response should be holy and awesome is his name. Holy is the name of Jesus who saved us, who redeemed us with his own blood. Awesome is the name of Jesus who saved us and redeemed us by his own blood. And so when we come to this table in just a moment, um, we are coming to that great overlook. We're peering over the edge and looking into the beauty and the glory and the awe of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So that God could keep his covenant with us, Jesus let himself be torn apart. And so we come now to this table and we look over into the overlook and we are in awe for the love of God for path-leaving people like us. The next uh, Psalter reading, the last verse of Psalm 111, 
verse 10. The psalmist says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And as the psalm began with praise, it ends. His praise endures forever. It's interesting that when the Old Testament writers and New Testament writers wanted to describe a person who is a true worshiper of the true living God, they called them a person who fears God or a God-fearer. That, that sounds kind of strange. And what it does not mean, God fearing God does not mean merely or only a dread of God's righteous wrath and judgment, though that's part of it. But to only think of the fear of God as just dreading God's wrath and judgment is to misunderstand the biblical phrase, the fear of the Lord. Um, Ligon Duncan described the biblical full full-orbed meaning of the fear of the Lord this way. The fear of the Lord is a reverence joined with love, adoration, and affection for God that delights in God above everything else. John Calvin described it this way. A person who fears the Lord so reverences and adores and loves God that he or she would tremble to sin even if there were no hell. So the fear of the Lord is this reverent um, humility before God that is joined with a love for God, an adoration of God, an affection for God that loves and delights in Him so much that the fear is, how can I ever sin against God? It's not because I'm afraid of hell, it's because I love Him. And I would fear to even leave the path that he's created me and redeemed me to walk. So now, having created us for loving God and loving people in the places he puts us, and having redeemed us from our own longing to leave the path, Jesus is now renewing us to walk in his love for God and love for others walk in his love for God and love for others. By his power, he's renewing a holy, reverent love and delight in God in us that longs to practice. That's what, that's what it says. All those who practice this fear have a good understanding. He's renewing in us a holy, reverent love and delight in God that longs to practice the love of God and the love of people in the places God puts us. A holy and reverent love and delighted God that trembles at leaving the path of love he's called us to walk. And so as we move toward the end of our time together, um, I found it was fascinating that Psalm 111 and Psalm 12 actually go together. They both begin with praise the Lord. But Psalm 111 is about the love of our God for us. Psalm 112 is about the loving life that we lead because of his love for us. So those who truly, truly live in the love of the God of Psalm 111 will lead the loving life of Psalm 112. So I want to invite you this afternoon or this week, look at Psalm 112 and look at how it focuses on 
the righteous person, whereas Psalm 11 focused on the righteous God. Here's a couple of samples. In Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, His righteousness endures forever. It says the same thing in Psalm 112, verse 3. His righteousness endures forever. But in Psalm 11, it's talking about God's righteousness will endure forever. In Psalm 112, verse 3, it's talking about the person who lives in the love of the God of Psalm 11, that their righteousness will endure forever. So there's, there's this connection between the love of the faithful covenant keeping God for his people who has carried them along this journey from creation through redemption to renewal. A connection from that God to the way you live in your everyday life. God's precepts and God's law show that God's heart is trustworthy and established forever and ever. If you trust his heart for you, you will live according to his his precepts. And just as his law is steadfast and trustworthy, so your life will become steadfast and trustworthy. Again, those who truly live in the love of the God of Psalm 111 will lead the loving life of Psalm 112. So, what we're going to do for the rest of our time is offer ourselves to Jesus, the one whom we love, because he first loved us. So, would you pray this offertory prayer with me? God of compassion, we praise you that you look upon our fair lives with love and understanding that you desire for us all new life in Jesus Christ. We are overwhelmed by your love, which goes to the cross for us, endures the grave, and leads us to new life. By your Spirit, strengthen our souls to be brave and bold in Christ's service. Take our offerings and use them and us for your purposes. In the name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Amen.